Welcome to the Sharing is Caring podcast. My name is Rahel Poppis and I'm your host. This podcast is all about our subconscious mind, inner peace and self-therapy to make your life easier. Enjoy the journey to your self-fulfillment. Learn, listen and become free because sharing is caring. Welcome Hazel Gale on the show. I am so excited to have you here because you are such a kick-ass woman. Thank you. (laughs) And I already know a few stories of yours because I met you at this convention back in Zurich and I was so amazed of the stuff that you were telling us about hypnotherapy and also your own story related to self-sabotage. Why don't you tell us about like what's your story and how you come, became a therapist and doing all of these awesome things nowadays? So, uh, well, it started years ago when I started kickboxing. I only went to kickboxing because I followed some guy that I fancied through the door. That was literally the only reason I went there. At the time, I was pretty much a professional drinker. I worked in bars and smoked 40 cigarettes a day. You know, I was not by any stretch of the imagination an athlete but I found myself in this kickboxing gym and I fell in love with it within minutes I can even remember because we used to do the warm-up was always really hard so I was exhausted sweating you know wishing I could just sort of duck out for a fag um but then we did this stretching at the at the they have almost like ballet bars around the outside of the gym and you and you have to do leg raises to strengthen your legs and, and to stretch your legs for kickboxing and uh and I was halfway through that and I just had this thought I was like this is this is going to be something I'm going to be doing a very long time like, I really like this this feels right and it was interesting I, I carried on training I trained too hard but it was only as I was starting to get serious about it that I even remembered that I'd had these fighter fantasies ever since I was young you know I'd always dreamed of being She-Ra or Wonder Woman um or as, as I said in the in the conference in Zurich Uh, Chitara was my favorite from Thundercats and and I also had these kind of fantasies about being so strong that I could fight off attackers in the streets or you know this was something that I'd been thinking about all my life but because boxing just wasn't on the radar of my family at all it never occurred to me that I could actually learn to fight and so there was this strange thing that happened felt like a homecoming as well as doing something new and exciting all at the same time and I just got a bit too wedded to it really. And I became obsessed. I was training two, three times a day, every day, as well as trying to um, make money working in, working in various restaurants and bars over the course of a couple of years. Then I left the bar staff behind. Um, I had graduated as an art student. And so I was doing that uh, as well, but it wasn't, obviously that doesn't make you any money unless, uh, unless you're very lucky. So I was working in bars and then also designing websites and doing that for a little bit and trying to juggle all this stuff together. But my focus was fighting and I completely overdid it. And the reason I overdid it wasn't really about the amount that I was training. It was the way in which I was training. So I'd been putting so much pressure on myself to be the, to be the best, to be the very best, not just the best I could be, but to be the best in any room. You know, if I was competing um, with a load of guys in a circuit training session, I would still feel like I had to be the fastest. Um, And then of course, every time I had a fight, I felt like it was either win or die. 
you know, losing was like death. I, I couldn't even bear the thought of it. And it happened a few times over the course of the first few fights, kickboxing, and it would break me every single time. And then I went through quite a long period of not losing at all, which was probably even more damaging than the losing because I became ever more afraid of, of loss. Um, and until, until I just burnt out. Uh, I, I don't even know exactly when it was that this started because it had definitely been coming on for a long time before I recognized it. And I was doing my very best to ignore it. And so after training sessions, I'd feel sick to the stomach. And I, I remember saying to one of my training partners once, just sort of casually, oh, you know when you finish training and then you feel really sick and you have to lie down and your head spins? And she was like, no. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, it must just be me then. But I just ignored it for years. And it got to this point, I remember one time lying on the sofa in my living room with my partner almost shouting at me saying, you have to go to work. He was uh, running the gym that I was teaching in and I, I just couldn't move. I couldn't look at him. I couldn't. My sister was annoyed with me. She was living with us too. The two of them were so frustrated because I was just, I just switched off. And, I, and all I was doing was lying there feeling like uh, empty, numb, empty, sick, heavy I couldn't move and I don't really know how long I lay on that sofa for but uh, it was longer than it than it should have been I was sort of watching tv programs on a loop and not paying any attention to them at all and it was somewhere in the middle of that that I realized I had to change something um so I went to see a therapist various different therapists uh, after having exhausted all of the medical routes and no one finding anything wrong so they couldn't really treat it and after all of that, it took me years to get better. It took me years to work out what was wrong and, and, to, and to get past the anxiety and then into the fatigue and where my mindset was wrong and to work out that I was basing everything on this binary perspective in the, where I either won or I was a complete failure and nobody would ever love me. Um, uh, and gradually I got better. And so because I got better with cognitive therapy, that's why I trained in that style of therapy. Um, but I am also aware that it was, I was, you know, I, I'm not saying that it's the one therapy that made a difference. I probably have said that on occasions because it was for me, but that's not because I think it's the only therapy that works. It just was the one that happened to be at the right time for me because I recognized that I didn't let most of the other practitioners even start to help me because I just wasn't present. I was waiting for a quick fix. I wanted someone to come along and wave a magic wand so I could go back and carry on doing things exactly how I'd been doing them before. Mm. And I, that wasn't possible. I had to change everything. I had to change my perspective, my belief systems, um, in order to even begin getting back into the ring. Mm -hmm. Wow, what a great story. And then, so you then decided to go into cognitive therapy yourself as a patient, and then how did you get to, point, to the point that you want to be a hypnotherapist yourself? I trained up almost immediately after I realized that it was affecting me positively. So I was then juggling fighting um, and training as a therapist at the same time. And for, at first that was really quite hard. I was, my energy levels weren't back yet. Um, uh, but I made it, I made it happen because I was so passionate about it. And it, Uh, and it also sped up my recovery process because I was then so 100% involved in understanding what was actually going on in my mind mm -hmm. and really recognizing how much fear had been driving me before that. So I often des describe it to clients um, talking about the difference between being uh, you know, fear motivated or 
or enjoyment motivated. So carrot or stick, everything was stick for me then. Um, and I often describe this in thinking about two, two 100 meter sprinters, both of them train their absolute hardest before the upcoming competition. But one of them is training because they absolutely love training and they just can't wait to get down to the track and they love everything about training and they can't wait for the competition and they're looking forward to pushing themselves and succeeding. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, carrot motivation, that's enjoyment. But the other person will train equally hard, but they're doing it because they cannot bear the thought of getting to the competition and failing. And mm-hmm. so they never get to enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm. They never get to enjoy the training or the race because the whole time they're busy looking over their shoulder at this monster that's chasing after them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was doing that to myself in everything. Nothing was about enjoyment. Gradually, I just lost the ability to even experience any emotion at all because I was so filled with fear that I had to numb it all. Um, and it's, so that it's one thing to know you're doing that and it's something else to actually go about changing it. And that takes a while. It takes a lot of awareness and it takes different processes. Um, uh, but being in, uh, you know, being in college and studying at the same time as doing all of that really helped me to, to overcome it in a pretty profound way. You know, it wasn't just one problem gone. It was you know, an entire life change. Mm-hmm. So you got into mind monsters. That is a huge topic now in your life. And how do you work with these monsters or this awareness of fear or whatever is the topic of the anger or the self-sabotage? How do you work nowadays with these monsters? So I don't, it's the mind monster thing is something I use more in terms of workshops and talks than it is actually in practice. Because the reason it came about, I do use it in practice when it feels right, but the reason it came about was that I wanted a vehicle to help people more quickly get in touch with the difficult stuff. So it's all about limiting beliefs, really. I wanted to find a way of making it possible for people to go there. Because I'm sure as a therapist, you will know that, you know, some people are well in touch with their fear and they'll walk in and they'll sit down and say, I've got a fear that I'm not good enough, or I've got a fear that I'm stupid, um, or I've got a fear that I just can't, whatever. And those people, they don't need a vehicle. They're already there. They're with it. They know what to work with. But then, but that's about 50% of the people who walk through my door. The other 50% sit down and say, I don't really know what's wrong. Hmm. And, and they say, I don't think I'm afraid. Because just like I had, they'd learned to numb all of that. Mm-hmm fear or they say they're not angry or whatever and it's you need a way that feels approachable and easy mm-hmm. to dive through the surface and get into those things mm-hmm. and so I I developed the mind monster idea out of it's a it's a variation on parts therapy so gestalt therapy um and it's also a really creative way of going about it so it's all metaphorical of course mm-hmm. there is no mm-hmm. monster but by creating this metaphorical um version of it It makes it quite playful and it makes it approachable. And it means that anytime when something gets too hard, people can discuss it in metaphor rather than using the literal language, which opens it up quite amazingly. The Festival of Doers talks. The first Festival of Doers I did was in London. And uh, that was the first time I'd given the Mind Monster talk um, properly. And I didn't know how it was going to go down. Afterwards, all the other talks, everyone was mentioning their monster and people were referencing it all the time. And I was like, this is amazing because what they're actually talking about is the source of their shame. Mm-hmm. Monster that, whether it's, you know, a binge eating monster or a procrastination monster, they've visualized it sitting on their hand and they've had to think about it. 
And crucially, they've worked out the language it uses. They've, worked, they've been able to work out these horrible stories that we tell ourselves. I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. Mm. I don't fit anywhere. These things can take sometimes to take sessions for people to get to in therapy. But when you give them this monster vehicle, they can get there in moments. So all these people were standing up in the stage in the, in the, in the London Festival of Doers talking about their monsters. And I realized in that moment just how simple this process really was. I hadn't really grasped until then how quickly how it, is. it worked. Mm-hmm. Before I did the talk, I thought, how am I ever going to talk about this in mm-hmm. 25 minutes? Mm-hmm. I can't possibly do it in that time. But yeah, you can. You can do it in 10 minutes, actually. So, um, so that's where the monster thing came from. And, and its uses are various. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, share, I'll share an easy, easy use for it uh, today. Okay. Well, I think it's amazing because I've seen the metaphors, the technique already before, and I use it sometimes in my practice as well, like for, okay, if you would be an animal, which animal would you be? If you would be a color, what, what a house, what car, what, whatever. And so every time I say now, okay, what monster do you have? Everybody can picture their monster. If it's green, if it's black, if it's smiley, if it's sticky, is it, is it, wah, whatever. So everybody has actually an actual picture of a monster if they know it or they just created it in their subconscious mind. And I just think it's, it's such a cool technique to actually see, okay, what, how does your monster look like? And they immediately just have just like that, a picture. And it creates the possibility of self-dialogue, which may not otherwise be there. Not everybody's very good at talking to themselves. Or if they are good at talking to themselves, they talk to themselves in the wrong way. And a really key part of the mind monster process is, yes, it's visualizing it and giving it a name or whatever, just so we can identify it. But the most important thing is to recognize that it doesn't matter how destructive the behaviors are created by this part its intentions are always positive because there is no part of the personality that has bad intentions for us. We don't, we're not built that way. We're built for self-preservation survival. You know, every, every behavior that we have is based on uh, the, the, the idea that it's going to do us some good. It's just that these parts of us are getting something wrong, but we need in order to re-educate them, shouting at them and trying to dismiss them and squidge them and, and throw them in the bin um, which is what people tend to want to do with their monsters when they first get in touch with them. That's not going to work because the more you yeah. fight a part of yourself, the bigger and more monstrous it becomes because resistance to any aspect of the personality feeds the fear. Mm-hmm. And you know, something I find myself saying very often is that you simply cannot wage war on yourself and then emerge victorious. And that's the deal. Until we've got some means of communicating with the part of us that's mm-hmm. doing the problem in a loving and compassionate way we don't stand a chance of 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 updating the behavior of getting it to Mm -hmm. fulfill its positive intention in a better way which is the Mm -hmm. ultimate yeah and that's how i i work a lot of with a lot with the regression of um to cause technique to just get back and actually see okay what's the problem there what does this problem what does your inner child at that moment actually need and what was missing and was what was maybe the anger that was never able to just go out and what actually created the whole monster of this whole situation that is still sticking in you nowadays but just has gotten like bigger and bigger and bigger from all the experience that used to be super small but then because our subconscious mind doesn't um, get how to separate or differentiate um, experiences and it just stores everything with the same monster. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, that's it. I love doing regression work with the monster metaphor because if somebody's already got in touch with their monster and they've seen something like a, a you know, a slimy demon or something like that, but the that part of their personality that they've turned into this horrible thing, because I don't use the word monster. If I'm, whenever I'm talking to people, I will not use the word monster until they've come up with their monster. So it doesn't always look like a monster. Sometimes it looks like a child self already and sometimes it just looks like a blob. Um, but it will always, pretty much always look like something they don't really want to have. But it, but it absolutely always started off as a younger version of us, often a formative version of us. You know, the first point we learned this fear that we weren't good enough, the first point we learned to, to fear not fitting in, will ha- those things will happen when we're sort of five, six, whatever, maybe even younger. And when you get people to trace that stuff back to the original memory and they see their younger self struggling, suddenly this whole idea of, something, of, of needing to resist it, of needing to fight the monster, just disappears because of course you don't want to fight a five-year-old you who feels sad because they're being bullied on the playground. Mm. No, you would. And so, yeah, coupling the monster therapy with, with regression therapy really helps because it, it, there's no better way to, to learn how to be compassionate towards ourselves mm-hmm. than to, to see our younger selves mm. going through the same stuff. And you already wrote two books. Do you want to tell us about like what the first book is and now the second one coming out? Well, I've written one book. The two, the two titles are because the first one, uh, the first one's called Fight. And um, I mean, the book is at the moment called Fight and it will be called uh, The Mind Monster Solution when the paperback comes out. And it's just because the... Uh, Uh, the publishing house let me change the title that's so that's the deal with that um and it will the paperback version of it with the better title will be out on the 30th of may um uh and yeah i'm really really looking forward to that i love the new uh new cover and new title Mm -hmm. so it's it feels like it's got a sort of second uh second birth really which is exciting it's also out uh, um, as fight in french um and it will be out in Spanish at some point in the next year. Um, I don't know what the title is going to be in Spanish yet because they haven't okay. done it. Okay, cool. But it, it's, the, it's the mind monster concept. So it starts off with people meeting their monster and then it goes through a number of different processes in quite a lot of detail um, to help people to really get to know themselves and to learn how to practice the kind of self-acceptance that makes a real difference. Well, I'm a big fan of the book, so I bought it. And the cool thing about it is also that you did some audios as well to it to actually get deeper with having in an um, induction with your voice as well and then going through the whole process. So I think it's amazing for every listener who wants to actually get to their monsters or to their inner self that is still kind of struggling with whatever fear or self-sabotage. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so what exercise can you give us today for maybe getting closer to our monster? All right. Well, I thought I would, I'll, I'm going to give you a little stat first, an interesting little bit of information, and then I'll, and then I'll show you how to get in touch with your monster. And so the, the thing that I've, the study that I've been coming back to a lot over the past few months, because it just summarizes everything, and it's not actually in the book, but it's, um, but it could be, um, it summarizes everything that, that the monster process can really, really help us to do uh, on, on the fly, like in, in the moment. And that's what I'd like to show you something here today, which you can use at, at the time of trouble. Um, and so the study I'm talking about was done by um, Robert Keegan in the 80s. 
who is a psychologist who focused on developmental stages. And put very simply, he was looking into, you know, how people related to victimhood. So the idea being that, you know, when we're born, we, of course, we operate pretty much from a place of victimhood exclusively. We're in, we're in a very black and white binary um, world where everything's good or bad. Um, and, and then as we get older, we're meant to sort of move away from victimhood and into autonomy as we get older and more autonomous. Um, but it doesn't always work that way because we can e- quite easily get stuck in sort of the adolescent sort of mm-hmm. um, mindset for our entire lives. And, and I think a lot of the work that we do as therapists and coaches is helping people move up this ladder away from mm-hmm. childlike thinking and into something which is stronger, more nuanced, more autonomous and uh, more powerful. Anyway, Keegan's study, um, he put people into five different categories. And the most victimized end was magical thinking, which is people who really do feel like the outside world has complete power over them. Um, and so no autonomy there at all. And that is what we should be doing in the first few years of our life. Um, but we can still get back into it even as adults if we are triggered. And then at the other end of the scale, he called it transsystemic thinking. So this was where people had real autonomous control. They didn't suffer from addictions and dependencies. They had enjoyed more success. They were far better connected. Relationships were a totally different deal. It's where all of us want to be. But only 1% of people in Keegan's study tested into that category. And he interviewed thousands of people. Um, uh, But the thing is that the people in that category, the things they had going for them, that everyone else didn't aren't actually that hard to come by. Um, in another book, book called uh, Escape the Drama Triangle, I think, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the, the authors now, which is poor form. Sorry about that, but I can't. Anyway, they talk okay. about two psychotherapists who talk about um, how to learn our way out of victimhood. And they say that it comes down to two key skills. Skill number one is the ability to identify and utilize, uh, identify and recognize the patterns that play out in our lives as patterns. So it's a way of thinking about self-awareness to know that, you know, I'm, oh, I'm going into a, I'm, I'm going into a withdrawal um, response to a fearful thought about this, and this has happened before, and I know when it started happening, and I see this happen in my life. Mm. And the beauty about this is when we can see it as a pattern, that means that we know that it isn't necessarily the way it has to be. That means that it's just one option. It's our habit. We're repeating it. Skill number two is the ability to identify and utilize the window of opportunity that exists between a thought or feeling being had and an action being taken. So this is massive. Like if we're in magical thinking, when we're feeling like the victims of our own minds and our own behavior, we won't think that window exists. Mm -hmm. If we're trying to give up smoking from magical thinking, the moment we have a thought, oh, I wish I could have a cigarette, the next thing we'll be doing is sparking up a cigarette. No, there is no choice. There is no window. Mm -hmm. It's just thought leads to action. Mm -hmm. But the further we move up that scale, up towards the autonomy um, category, that top 1%, the bigger and more powerful that window becomes. Um, And here's where the mind monster thing comes in. When we know how to communicate with ourselves and when we know how to get in touch with the, the language that we need in order to make a change, those windows are when it has to happen. So here's the very quick way that people can um, meet their monsters before they can start to use them. Anyone who's listening, I'd like you to start by thinking of something you either do or feel but wish you didn't. So this could be um, an emotional thing like anxiety or resentment, guilt, or it could be 
um, a behavioral thing, one of the behavioral manifestations of those feelings, like procrastination or comfort eating or binge drinking, nail biting, avoidance, sabotaging relationships. We all have something. And if you're struggling to think of something, just pause the podcast for a moment and come up with something because it's well worth doing, I promise you, even if it seems like a small thing. And then when you have that problem, put your hand out in front of you, palm up, and I'd like you to imagine that the part of your personality that creates that emotion or behavior is sitting on your hand. And I'd like you to really look at your hand and to imagine if you could see that part, what would it look like? Is it large or small? Is it dark or light? Is it humanoid, animal-like, or inanimate? Now, as mentioned already, what people imagine when asked this question varies widely. Like some people see a goblin or monster-like creature, but other people see a child self or someone else from their life. Often it looks like a parent giving them some kind of instruction. Um, and very often it's sort of a blob of slime. And it and it, I think the reason it's often that amorphous kind of intangible thing is because we don't want to see, meet our monsters. We spend our whole lives trying to pretend these things don't exist. But the deal is that they do exist. There is nobody without fear, without shame. There is no, the only people who don't have shame are psychopaths. So that's your choice. You either have a monster or, you know, you can go and join your psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should take back the Trump thing. I take that. I take that back. <laughs> Um, so because we don't want to see these parts of the personality, it's hard to come up with a metaphor. If, if people, if you ask a whole room full of people to do the process I just went through, but this time asking them to think of some powerful, desirable part that has a strength, they find it way easier to come up with a metaphor. It's not that way with our monsters because we don't want to see these parts of the personality. We want to obliterate them, but that does not solve the problem. So when you have your monster, the... I have, I, I, I have six questions for people to answer about the monsters. I won't ask them here because I'm, wor I'm wary of time, but we can put them in the notes underneath the, underneath yeah, the podcast, for sure. um, which helped to sort of build a narrative around it. When you have the monster, when you have it, and it has a name, it has a form, you know how it speaks, you know how it feels, then it is your key to identifying and utilizing those windows of opportunity where, where you have to make a difference. Because the monster itself is the pattern. That's skill number one, pattern recognition, to be able to recognize the patterns that play out. The monster is the pattern. This part of you that creates this particular feeling, this particular response that you hate because it repeats, mm -hmm. is the pattern. So instead of looking for a pattern, which is kind of abstract and difficult, you're looking now for a monster. You're looking now for Dave, the binge eating monster. Mm. Much easier to identify. And then in the moment when it comes up, in the moment when it happens, a dialogue needs to happen between yourself and this part of you that wants to lead you in the direction you don't want to go. So if you don't have the dialogue, if you don't use the window of opportunity, you'll go straight from the thought to the action and you'll be binge eating. And you'll binge eat until the point when you look back and you hate yourself for doing it. If you use the window of opportunity, then you can pause in that moment and you can do whatever it is that you need to do to remind yourself that one, you're in control, and two, crucially, that part of your personality is trying to come up with a good solution. If you just like communicate with it and collaborate with it instead of battle it, you'll find a new way to solve the problem. So binge eating is there to make you feel connected, which very often it is. Mm. Maybe there's something else you can do in that moment to feel connected. 
Mm. Maybe you need to have a phone call. Maybe you need to change your job. Maybe you need to whatever. So many things that there could be the answer to this. But you won't find the answer unless you ask the question. And the monster is, is a, has to be a part of that process. And so very finally, a visualisation that I love to use with people who have already got in touch with what their monster looks like is just to imagine that in that moment, really what we need to do is practice radical self-acceptance because that means we're not fighting. It means we're not empowering the monster, mm-hmm. which opens up this window. And so I like to imagine that you can assign a colour to the feeling of acceptance or the feeling of love. And all you need to do to assign that colour is ask yourself, if love had a colour, what would it be? And go with the first thing that comes to mind. And then in those moments, you can call your monster to mind and just imagine that particular colour flowing from you, maybe from your heart, wherever it is that you feel like love lives, to the monster. And when you do that, the monster tends to change a little bit. It softens or it smiles or... I've heard stories of sort of gnarling, gnarly beasts transforming into <laughs> fluffy little kittens and <laughs> gnarling faces learning to smile sweetly. Mm. Um, and for me, a big black shadowy mess turned into a five-year-old version of me because that's where I learned my fear of failure. Mm-hmm. So just taking that moment, really, it's just about taking the moment to pause mm. and remind yourself that there is another way, that you can use the monster metaphor in that moment to open up a different option. And I can pretty much guarantee you, if you do that, new ideas will come to mind. doesn't mean necessarily that you'll instantly solve the problem because it's never that easy and that's okay. But if you keep working with this kind of idea and you keep asking the right questions, before you know it, you'll find yourself taking a different route uh, and then you'll be looking back and wondering exactly how you did it. Mm. Thank you for this amazing input. I can only agree. And see, the thing is sometimes just accepting that there is a monster And that you can just give your love in it, that it actually already changes. I think using that metaphor and being able to just change it in your mind, like in no time is just so much work for your inner self that is not even explainable because you're just like, oh my God, this monster is actually getting loved and something good in me. And even the the qualities of a monster... um, that actually trigger you or something, even a superpower? Yeah, this part of you has so many strengths that you're not accessing because you're fighting it. Mm-hmm. Here's, the, here's the really beautiful thing, and this is at the end of fight. That fight's all about how you know stop fighting yourself, you can't get rid of a part of yourself, can't get rid of the monster. But the word monster, M-O-N-S-T-E-R, is an anagram of the word mentors. Mm-hmm. which is brilliant because if we start to look at it this way, like this part of the personality is not here to be my demon. It's not mm-hmm. here to derail me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's here to teach me something. Mm-hmm. And if I keep asking myself what that message is, what it really is here to teach me, for me, it was just to remember that I don't have to win everything in order to be a worthwhile you know, existence on this planet. Mm-hmm. That sounds like the simplest thing in the world, but I probably had tried to tell myself that intellectually for years before I did the actual work that mm-hmm. ma- made a difference. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was getting into this in a really emotional way and communicating it with my child self mm-hmm. that meant that I could finally get that message through mm-hmm. and then I could start to feel okay, you know, coming in second or third or act more even, you know, shock horror, mm-hmm. being crap at something. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to be crap at something to be good at something. Mm-hmm. So um, that changed everything for me. It is the whole learning. And as you're saying, the mentors, as soon as you overcome the monster and it's turning into a mentor, it is actually, it's like a coach that you actually know um, 
how you're acting and he'll be like supporting and he's like you know how this works and you don't don't need to be there anymore and that's like the healing part of an incredible psychic state yeah it's like the brilliant frankel quote i think frank this is not a direct quote but he said something along the lines of when pain finds a meaning it ceases mm -hmm. to be pain mm -hmm. and i think you can just translate that straight into self-sabotage when when you give self-sabotage a meaning when you when you learn its lesson it stops feeling like self-sabotage and starts to feel like the most important thing that's happened to you in some time because it will always create some amazing change of direction if you let it and you're an expert in that field afterwards you actually exactly know of what your monster is actually what qualities it has what what kind of superpowers or qualities and also what damages you till the end till you're down yeah and That is kind of like the cool part about it. <laughs> yeah, I work with, um, before we started on this talk, you said you might ask for success stories. Um, and I've just realized one thing I can, I, I was worried about whether or not I was going to breach client mm -hmm. confidentiality to telling an individual story. And I'm not going to do that because I, I can tell a co collective one. Mm -hmm. I work with so many boxers who get in touch with their monster. And it, it, with boxers, the monster is almost always a fear of failure and it's often connected to weakness, a fear of being weak, a fear of being humiliated. Um, that was definitely what my monster was all about. Here's the irony. When you actually get these, part, these parts into dialogue and you find out what they're all about and you ask yourself what their real strengths are, the boxers who work in this way find that this part of the personality is the part of them that has aggression. Mm -hmm. It's the part of them that wants to fight for their survival. It's a part of them that makes them a good boxer. And they've been trying to get in the ring without it all this time. No wonder mm -hmm. they've been crippled by fear mm -hmm. and doubt and everything else because they've been getting in the ring, mm -hmm. not whole. Mm -hmm. When you can reframe it and recognize, you can't, you cannot have a boxing fight without nervousness. Mm -hmm. You can't have it mm -mm. but if you welcome that nervousness and you bring it in as your superpower mm -hmm. knowing as your strength yeah. it's physical strength yeah as well as mental strength mm -hmm. you're physically stronger when you walk into the ring uh, with adrenaline pumping through your body and there are stories of women lifting the burning cars off their off you know off their children because the adrenaline makes them so superhuman strong mm -hmm. like you definitely wouldn't want to get into a boxing ring without adrenaline and the monster <laughs> is the part that gives you that so yeah, there's always a reframe that means that this thing that you've been fighting your probably your whole life is going to make you better at whatever it is that you think it's making you worse at. Mm. It makes you a better lover. It makes you a better partner. It makes you more creative. It makes you stronger. Um, and there'll be an answer for whatever yours is, but you'll, you can, you'll only get it when you get it. Mm. That is wonderful. <laughs> I love all about this talk and I think we could continue forever about this. So how, um, how can you be contacted or are there, well, you said about the releases um, or the release that the book will be um, released again in end of May, you said? Yeah. I mean, it is obviously out at the moment. Yeah, but it's it out is out, but just in a different name. Mm -hmm. I would recommend waiting for the Mind Monster Solution um, in May. Um, Uh, or the audiobook is, is in English and French is called Fight and that won't change. Um, but in terms of contact, so my website is hazelgale.com. I, I mean, I'm barely ever on there. Social media is the place to find me if you really have a question. Um, or my email. So my email address is hazel at hazelgale.co.uk. Um, social media, um, Instagram, hazel.gale.therapy. Um, 
Twitter, at Hazelgale. Medium, at Hazelgale. It's pretty simple. Um, and I've got a Facebook group, which is a closed Facebook group for anyone who wants to join me and join discussions about this sort of thing. Um, and I, I, I'm uh, reasonably infrequent when it comes to those things because I've got so many other things going on. But when I'm on there, I'm very enthusiastic and involved and I'm really, really keen for anyone to ask me questions. I'm particularly keen to see people's monsters and hear about those mm. Uh, so I'm also very, very keen for anyone to send me monsters to my email address, uh, which again is hazel at hazelgale.co.uk. Because I can drawings. Sorry? That means drawings. Yeah, drawings. Send yeah. me drawings of the monsters. Well, not just drawings. I've got, you know, I've got one song. I've got some videos. People have made monsters in all sorts of media. Um, but I, the, and along with the answers to the questions that will be uh, in the text to this podcast because I want to build the army. I've got, I don't know, over a hundred or so already. And I want as many as I can possibly get. Okay, cool. <laughs> You'll receive mine in time. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that was very nice talking to you and I'm thrilled. I am absolutely thankful that you were on this um, podcast talking about your strength and your superpower that is now something else that it used to be and i absolutely love your work and thank you very much thank you very much for having me <laughs>